You know, every time, every time in Scripture when um, someone said the words, here I am, Lord, use me, or send me, or I'm ready, uh, it wasn't followed up with a casual response from God. And I can't help but think that when we sing these, we sing these words so freely and sometimes absent-mindedly, maybe, if I could be honest about myself, and don't realize the weight of the challenge that I'm accepting. Because to be ready for God is not to be hunky-dory from there on, or to be casual and indifferent about the things that he's passionate about. To be ready for God is to be at war with sin. And if you know what the Bible says about sin, and if you know yourself like I know myself, the war with sin starts with the war with my flesh. And this is like, I can't escape that, right? Like I'm very much bound by this problem temporarily. And so to say, make us ready, or to say, we're getting ready, oh, it rhymes and it flows and it's smooth, but it isn't smooth if we really take it seriously. But it's more worth it than anything that this world can offer. And that's why we're here. Because Jesus walked that road for us, and he's given us an opportunity to follow him Because on the other side of death is new life and hope for eternity. So there's nothing that this life can throw at us that we should fear. So we're getting ready. And we're in Ephesians chapter 1. If you have your Bible, I want you to open it and get ready for the word. We started this prayer Last week, if you were with us, if you weren't with us, it's okay. I'm going to catch you up briefly here. But before I do that, I know everybody, I think. But my name's Jared. I'm one of the pastors here, and I'm grateful to be one of the pastors here. I love what God is doing here. I love the team that's being built, and I'm grateful that you're here with us. We want to know you if we don't. We want to help you get plugged in and find a community that's going to love you and push you closer to Jesus so fill out a card, tap somebody on the shoulder. If you ever see, uh, if you ever need somebody to talk to or you don't know how to get plugged in, Adam would be a great person right there in the middle with the, with the teal blue, bring out your eyes type of PFG. <laughs> Ephesians chapter one. Let's recap a little bit from last week. We, we talked about this prayer from Paul, really cool. He tells the Ephesians, I've been praying for you and I haven't stopped and then he tells them what he's been praying. And this is what he, he tells them three things that he's been praying for them. Well, first he says, I want, to, I want to pray for you that the eyes of your hearts would be enlightened, that you would be able to see the hope of your calling, the riches of your inheritance, and the greatness of God's power that is at work towards you, the believer in Jesus. And that, that was kind of the first half of this prayer. And this week we're going to focus on the second half of this prayer because 
you know, we got to know the first half to understand the second half. And so we're going to dive in because after he talks about enlightening the eyes of their heart and talking about the hope of their call and the riches of his inheritance in the saints and the power, the immeasurable power that is at work toward you. He then says that all of these things have been worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. Verse 20. Ephesians chapter 1, it would be helpful for me to give you the reference. Verse 20 says that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand of him in the heavenly places. Where is that? That's far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things, somebody say all. Somebody count that high. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. I'm like, I was talking to Marcus before this, and I'm like, sometimes these things are so big. How do we, how do we understand? How do we attain this knowledge? How do, we, how do we understand what all things means? Under his feet? All rule and authority and dominion and, and the, the, the dominion of darkness, the dominion of kings and rulers, anything. Stack them up under his feet, seated at the right hand of God in the heavenly places, enthroned, unshakable, immovable. Oh, what does that mean? That's where we're going tonight. That's, that's what we're talking about. And I'm excited because Paul is talking about resurrection power like not just power there were people throughout the scriptures that were looking for power they were looking for abilities to be able to heal people or raise people and 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 leave the sickness behind and raise them in healing or or do all these different things they wanted to perform miracles they're looking for power Paul's not talking about any kind of power that any kind of person can wield. He's talking about resurrection power that is on high, only from heaven, only from God who created all things and sustains all things. That's the type of power that we're talking about, resurrection. Like something can be dead and that something can be alive when this power is put on it and in it. This is not natural. This is not attainable. This is not one, two, three, you're trained, take the power. So once again, we're talking about stuff that's way above my head. But I want to make that clear before we go much further, because this isn't like we don't come to this text and feel good about our ability. I don't come to this text and think, ooh, I could have power. I come to this text and say, he has that power. And praise God. Because if I had that power and I could control that power, I'm not sure I would do the right thing with it. Paul's talking about this resurrection power. And the beautiful thing about this is that this resurrection power, verse 19, this immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, this power toward us who believe, this power working in us who believe 
in the very next verse, is the same power that God worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is the same power that God has worked toward those who believe. The same power is at work in us. F.F. Bruce, a Bible scholar, said that if the death of Christ is the supreme demonstration of the love of God, then the resurrection of Christ is the supreme demonstration of his power. Power, but not just any kind of power. Resurrection power. That he worked, verse 20, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. I want to talk about this seated at the right hand of God for just a second before we go much further. Seated at the right hand of God. Jesus, we know from the scripture, even just a few weeks ago when we studied, was there before the foundation of the world. He was creator, sustainer from before the foundation of the world. From him are all things, Colossians says, and to him are all things and through him are all things. All things are held together by the word of his power. This is Jesus. And this Jesus condescended and chose to come down in human form to live the life that we couldn't live. And after he completed his task and died a sinner's death for you and for me, God raised him from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at his right hand. Now what this means, this right hand of fellowship, of trust, of authority, this is who Jesus is. Name above all names, above all rule and dominion and authority and principality and might. Any, nothing can stand against his throne at the right hand of God in his rightful place. And God did that with the same resurrection power that he has placed in the believer by his Holy Spirit. Psalm 110, verse 1, David writes, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And that's not talking about you and me. It's talking about Jesus the enemy is a footstool under his feet, fulfilling the prophecy that the devil's head will be crushed under the feet of our Savior. And we're placed in that position in as much as we trust in him as Lord. Colossians 1, 16 through 17. I said this a little bit earlier, got ahead of myself. For in him, Jesus, all things were created. All things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. There's nothing to omit. There are no exceptions. 
well, Jared, there's a lot of bad things in this world. Are you saying that, that this is like from him and through him? I'm not saying anything. Paul is writing to the church in Colossae, and he's saying from him and for him and through him and to him are all things. And there's nothing outside of his rule and authority. So what about all these politics that don't really line up with what we believe? Well, what I'm telling you is from him and to him and through him and for him are all things. Well, Jared, I don't know how that reconciles. I'll tell you how that reconciles. God will be glorified through it all. And he's placed us in a position to be able to live out this truth in love and good deeds because of the resurrection power that's in us, the same power that seated him at the right hand of the throne of God after he died the death that we deserved. This is our risen king, humiliated, tortured, killed because of our sin and raised by the power of God and enthroned in a place that nobody can touch to rule for all of time. Verse 22, and God, and he, God, put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. I couldn't wait to get here. Under his feet, under his feet are all things. God has put all things under his feet. Psalm 8, 6 says, you made him ruler of the works of your hands. You have placed everything under his feet. Don't you love how the Bible just does this? You know, in art class where you got all the colors and you just, and you start doing this and then it's a color that you want. That's what I think about when I read the Bible because it's rightly dividing the word of truth and it's beautiful because it lines up and coincides and it works together and it works way bigger than I can imagine and there's no amount of searching that I can do where I found it all. The fact that God has put all things under his feet is so important. There are innumerable, there aren't enough numbers for the implications of this truth, that everything is under his feet. In Matthew chapter 14, we see a really uh, famous story from Jesus' time. We see him perform probably his most uh, famous miracle where he feeds 5,000, which was just men. They didn't count the women and the children in that 5,000 number. I don't know why. I mean, it would have been a really big number, you know? You want a big number? You count everybody. I don't understand what that's about. But anyway, they didn't count everybody. Jesus performed this miracle where he fed 5,000 people with nothing, basically, miraculous, and everybody's having a fit. Wow, what is this? Who is this? We gotta throw a parade. We gotta crown him. This is the promised Messiah. He's going to take over all of this authority, and we're gonna storm the castle, and we're gonna be, we're gonna be the kingdom now. And so they're, they're rowdy, they're lively, they're excited. And Jesus kind of says, oh, no, it's not time yet. And he pulls back to retreat, to pray. And he sends his disciples ahead on the sea by boat. Go ahead of me. I'm going to retreat and pray alone. And then I'll meet up with you later. Let's pick it up in, in Matthew chapter 14, verse 22. Jesus 
immediately made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. All things under his feet. We're going to read the rest, but give me a second right here because this is really important. All things under his feet. Jesus, you sent us to the waves. We're being beaten by the waves. That was my best friend that died. We still can't get pregnant. I can't get over COVID like days and weeks and months. And what is this season? Loved ones and, 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 and uh, dreams forfeited. Life happens. Jesus, you told me to go there. You told me to go there. I knew that this was your heart. I thought that this was your heart for me, for my family. What am I going to tell my kids? How are they going to grow up without a granddad, a great granddad? a family member that, that we look up to. The disciples are out on the waves. They're being beaten by the waves. Jesus just told them to go there. How can you tell us to go there if you're truly the one with everything under your feet that's in control and you know the end from the beginning? How can this be? The wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, this is just before dawn, 3 a.m. to 6 a.m., somewhere in there. It's late. They've been rowing to try to get through this. In John's account, in chapter 6 of John's account, he talks about how they've been rowing for three to four miles, which is a long way on the water. Struggling, beaten by the waves. And at the fourth watch of the night, a long time after this struggle. Where are you? Why are we having to go through this? We just saw you do this miracle. We wanted to stay there on the mountaintop. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. It's the bottom of the ninth. Two outs. Why couldn't you have done this in the fifth inning? We've been praying the whole time. We've been fasting. We hadn't been doing what we were, you know, not supposed to be doing. I thought I was living the life that you... You know what I'm saying? That this is real. We got to get into the story a little bit. Because this is relevant to us today. And in the fourth watch of the night... 
Jesus comes in and he's walking on the sea because everything is under his feet. And, he's, and, and, and the disciples saw him. And when, he, when they saw him walking, it was so early in the morning and they were so delusional that they thought that it was a ghost. And they said, they, they said it is a ghost in fear. But immediately, I love that word, no haste, I mean, no, no uh, pause, haste, with haste, immediately, this is what Jesus said, he spoke to them, he used his word and spoke to them, and he said, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid, it is I, I am that I am, the same phrase for I am that I am. The transliteration from the past with Moses and the burning bush where he says, I am that I am. Who was and is and is to come. Ego I me is this phrase in the Greek. He says it to them. He declares it. And in that phrase says so much to them. I am that I am and I am here and you can take heart and you don't have to be afraid of the waves or anything else or the fact that it's the fourth watch and you've been rowing for three or four miles because I'm here and I am Yahweh. And so Peter pipes up and he answers and he said, Lord, if, if it is you, I'm going to test you for a second. Command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus was fine with that request. And he says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Within what Jesus commanded, he came to him, and he's a walking miracle in this moment as he looks to him, and you know the story. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And Jesus reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is, there's, there's like 10,000 sermons in this text. But the one we're going to focus on specifically is, is that word, they. They got into the boat. And what happened when they got into the boat? The wind ceased. So we're talking about all night struggle. We're talking about going through hell. Thinking that it's all going to end thinking that he has given up on you how can he deliver that miracle back there and then tell us to go here and retreat up to the mountain seemingly to not care about what we're about to go through because he said that he knew all things and then come in the fourth watch and perform another miracle and the wind ceased when they got into the boat. 
couple of pictures here that we got to see practically. This is very practical. The disciples rode for three to four miles. We talked about that. Them striving by their own power and ability to get through the storm. Peter, second example, was doing great by following Jesus until he took his focus off of Jesus and put it on the struggle and started to think that he might be able to handle it and look down at the waves and started to sink when he took control out of fear. Both cases, they took the wheel. They took control and they didn't trust or believe. And I want you to see really clearly that the wind ceased when they got in the boat. They, what are you talking about, Jared? What is they? Why is they important? They is important because Jesus was in the they. That's the whole thing. That's the whole thing. Why, why did the wind cease? Because Jesus was in the they. The wind didn't cease until Jesus was in the they and they trusted him. The rowing didn't work. Peter walking on his own didn't work until Jesus was in the they. Because God has placed everything under his feet. And this isn't a I believe you, now I'm going to live and do my thing and look at all the struggle and deal on my own and then come back to you when it gets real bad. That's not it. That's not the rhythm of a Christian. And we have to learn that lesson the hard way. And God is patient with that. Jesus was patient with the disciples. But until Jesus was in the boat, until Jesus was with them, until they trusted in him and kept their eyes on him, the storm was too much. Because God didn't promise to put everything under the Christian's feet. He promised to put everything under Jesus' feet. But the beautiful reality of what Paul is writing about is the reality that when we are sealed by the Spirit, what we are sealed in is Christ. And when we're sealed in Christ and we're in Him, He never leaves us or forsakes us. And He is there in the waves. And as we look to Him and as we trust in Him and as we actively are in the boat with Him, the waves are under His feet. But even just for a moment, if we try to think that we got it, for a little while. Walking on the water. We try to put it under our feet. Because we'd rather be able to know the outcome and control it ourselves. We're going to start to sink. We're going to start to vary and, and be wayward because he didn't promise to put it under our feet. He promised that he put it under Jesus' feet. But he's given us an invitation to be in Christ. And as we're in Christ, everything is under his feet, which means we are secure. The same power that brought you back to life in salvation 
is the same power that sustains you through life today. Salvation, sanctification, glorification, it's all by his power and his alone. And Paul's making it real clear that we need to look to him as the one who is over all things. Because God has promised that everything is under his feet. It's his power. And his power is our power if we are in him. His power is your power if you are in him. I cannot emphasize that enough. And that's not a transaction, hit the button, get the toy. Is this okay to tell a joke right here? Like my kids with the thing that you drop the claw down and you pick it and it never works. It literally never works. It's the biggest crock I've ever seen in my life. And we just do it. We just happily do it. Just give all our money away to the claw. For Furby or whatever it is. So, Paul, all right, so we're coming to a close. Paul lays all this huge doctrine out there. This is Jesus. This is your hope. This is his inheritance. This is his immeasurably great power, like big doctrine, Christology. This is who he is. This is why you can trust him. All authority has been given to him. He is ruler of all things. He's seated securely on high at the right hand of God. This is our king. He is risen and the same power can be in you today when you trust and believe in Jesus as your savior. When you're in Christ, this power is yours. And he says all this. And then he has another and. <laughs> I love that. He's got ands on top of ands on top of ands with literally no punctuation. And, 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 and. You've never seen anything like this. That's what he's saying. And you never will. And this is what he says. All that and God gave him, verse 22. We're gonna get this. Sorry, Wesley. I'm gonna give you better cues next week. Well, no, I won't. By the way, Marcus is preaching next week. Come out for that. It's gonna be great. The week after that, I'll give you better cues. Verse 22, Ephesians 1, verse 22. Yep. God gave him, second part, as head over all things to the church. All that, all that power, all that rulership and lordship and authority, all of it, unimaginable, secure, stamped, sealed, before the foundation of the world, all of that has been given to the church. What? When we talked about what is the church, we talked about how we're a people called out by God and for God. We're not a place, we're not a building, we're not programs, we're a people. And now Paul is saying that God gave that Jesus to the church, to us. 
all of this immeasurable power is for us, the church. Jesus is serving us as our absolute authority and our absolute supplier of every need. All things are under his feet and he has been given to the church as head over all things. And so practically speaking, because we got to get practical about this, this is like... The church, remember, is the body of Christ. So when he says he has given him as head over all things to the church, we know that the church as the body of Christ has a head that is Jesus who is head over all things. Practically, the way that works out is the head tells the body what to do. The body is the actor for the head. The body responds to the head. The body executes on what the head declares. Just like our anatomy, because you can't draw up what God has done. As head over all things to the church, we are his body, he is our head. My question tonight, as we come to a close, is are we acting as the body? Because Peter wanted to be the head. Just for a second. He had a good heart. I don't know actually what his heart was, but I think it was good. Because for a minute there, he was trusting. He wasn't afraid because he saw the one who had everything under his feet as head over all things. So he wasn't afraid. But then he wanted, just for a minute, he became the head. So he took control and he looked down and then he realized, I can't do it. Sink. We know that. We know that place. If we're honest, we know that place. It's when we get out from under our role as the body that we start to sink. It's when we start to try to become the head ourselves that we start to sink because we're not supposed to be the head. We're supposed to be the body. We're supposed to take orders from the body. We're supposed to listen to the body because it's his word and it's his power and it's his authority. And everything is under his feet. So is he truly our head? Personally, individually, and corporately. Is he our head? And by he, are we talking about the same he? Is Christ the Christ that Paul's describing? Or do we have a misrepresentation and a misunderstanding of who he is because we've been listening to something else besides this? Because there is no omission in all things under his feet, subject to him. No matter how late in the game it is, no matter how big the waves are, he is not surprised. He is in control. I don't know why it's happening, but I know that I can get lost in that and get afraid of that if I spend too much time looking at that with eyes like a head. The eyes of our heart to be enlightened. He didn't pray for ability. He prayed for revelation, spiritual revelation to see in our hard eyes so that we can trust what he sees. 
We don't have to see how the waves are breaking so we can make it. You see that. This is about trusting in his providence and his authority and his position secure at the right hand of God with a vantage point that's not bound by time or location. Is this the Christ? That we're, is this Jesus that we're talking about? Is this the Jesus that we actively surrender to? Matthew chapter 28, as we close, verse 18 through 20. This is the Great Commission. This is everything for us as believers, as followers of Jesus. This is what he gave to his disciples before he ascended and was seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Where? Okay, I'm in. Getting ready for you. We're getting ready. Okay. I'm still getting ready, Lord. I don't know where to go. Getting ready for you. Can we have another worship night? Yes, we can. Yes, we can. If it propels us to go and do what he's told us to do, where? Jesus said, all nations, go. All authority has been given to me. Where do I go? Everywhere, wherever, all. No omission, no exception. Project Easter, great idea. I'm in, let's go. Africa, do we have the means? Great idea, let's go. Some things we may not have to pray about. If we're talking about the same Jesus, and I'm not trying to come after anybody, please. Coming after myself too. But he's saying it real clear. I have the authority. Listen to that and go and make disciples of all nations. Don't just get ready. All right. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. All authority. Therefore, go. So the offer on the table, the offer in the room tonight is the same as it was for the disciples in the middle of the storm. It is to come and trust in Jesus. To come and look to him for everything that you need. To come humbly as the body with Jesus as the head. And if you come in that posture, if we come to him, we have no reason to fear because he says, I will be with you always to the end of the age. Our, our role, this is 
actually the last thing I'm going to say. So if you made it this far, you can go home. You know, my thing. Our role is really simple. God's role is miraculous. But the longer we spend trying to be the miracle worker, the more we will get frustrated as we sink when life is stormy. Our role is simple. God's role is miraculous. Our role is far more simple than we make it. And the more we make it complex and the more we try to be the miracle worker ourselves, the more we sink. Charles Spurgeon said to trust Christ, to depend upon his power and faithfulness is such a childlike act that one sees no extraordinary difficulty in it at all. Very simple. Sometimes it's literally unbelievable because it's that simple, you know? Like, that's not enough. Like, did that really happen? Is that for real? Because I feel like I should have had, it should have had to be harder for me. It's a lot more like jumping off a cliff than climbing up the cliff. But if it's that good, I should have had to get there, you know? But our role is simple because Jesus condescended and did all the work for us in humility, in miraculous form. Spurgeon says all, all of our work, childlike act, is so simple, nobody sees any, any difficulty in it. Yet to bring the human mind to exercise simple faith in Jesus Yet, to bring the human mind to exercise simple faith in Jesus is a work of the most astounding power. And we cannot do it on our own. We can't even be weak without him. So the call for all of us tonight is to come and trust in him. Him being the one who has everything under his feet. Him being the one who is above all things, seated at the right hand of God. We have no reason to fear when he is with us. And if you don't know him today, you can. And I would love to talk to you about that. Come find me or find somebody else that seems to know what that's about. And I promise you, it's more simple than you could imagine. Leave the miracle to him. Father God in heaven, I pray right now that you would open up our hearts to see you just as Paul prayed, that you would show us a clarity that we've never imagined before about the hope of our call, about the, the riches of your inheritance, about the immeasurability of your power, that we may see how big and mighty you are and that we would trust in you above all things. God, may you empower us tonight to live a life through the struggles that come. And may it not be our power, but it be yours and yours alone. And I pray right now, God, that we wouldn't take another step without you. 
God, I pray for the people in the room that are skeptical. I pray that they wouldn't take another step tonight without you, that they would seek you while you may be found. I pray tonight for the people that are running hard after you. God, I pray that they wouldn't run another step without you. We are nothing apart from you, but in you we have everything we need. God, we praise you for it. We give you all the glory for it. In Jesus' name.